welcome back to another Why Hockey Periodical podcast. You get a bonus. You get two shows in about two days. And that is a very important two shows in two days because we're bringing on another friend of ours, uh, Corey Snyder, Tracking Project. You know his work. You all read his work and you all love his work, of course. Uh, hi, Corey. I have to ask you first because obviously it's one of my favorite things about you and your, and your Twitter feed is how do you go through the Pokemon choices for each month? It's it's pretty random. Like I just pick whichever one that I like for the month. Sometimes I try to be thematic. Like I pick a ghost or a dark type or October. And if it's like if it's winter, I try to pick an ice type or something. But eventually, I kind of I've kind of gone through a lot of my favorites already since I've been doing this bit for a few years now. So we're on Raikou this month. Was there any yeah, for that? Uh, I don't know. I never picked a legendary before. Well, like, that was so good. Those yeah, that's that's the only one from the games. Like when I was playing Gold Silver, that I caught. Oh, you... just be... oh yeah. Well, because okay. Well, Suicune was a was a major boss fight in Crystal, obviously. Yeah. But I'm trying to remember. Entei and Raiko were ones that ran around. Yeah. And you had to, and they would flee. I think. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I didn't remember. I only remembered some of them. The the ones that always got to me were the ones in in Gen Four. Because there was one, it was Mesprit was the one that always ran around in fleet, and I could never catch it. And I would always be the person who would like, I'm going to do this the real way. I'm not going to use my master ball to catch this one that runs around, even though that's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to do it the hard way. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do the arena trap, everything. Yeah. And sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. But I don't think they've done that in the last three gens. You know, that legendary trio that would run. I think they do have some that still run around, but I don't remember them very, very well from the last three gens. Yeah, I got uh, yeah, I got Sword Shield last year, and it was like way too easy. Every Pokemon game from like Gen Four on got progressively easier. And... Like they kind of hold your hand through the whole thing. Like they kind of explain and spell it out to you, to you. Kind of just hit me that... Is the hardest gym fight in Pokemon still Whitney? Because I still uh... think that's the hardest one I've ever had. Claire is pretty hard too. Okay. Well, that's I always I had to set up my team specifically for 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 uh, yeah. But Whitney's Mill Tank was always the hardest one. Like when yeah, I was that, younger, I w- always lost to her. Yeah, that took me a few tries. But like, I usually just trade for a Machop or something to like get me through the just to get me through the first part of that battle, and then I just hope that they miss that she misses on a rollout. Because that's really the only chance you have to survive that battle. Yes, I wish there is a, a time in the future where we might do just just stuff talking about Pokemon. We, we can't do that right now, but I always yeah, like that. Yeah. Because, because there is a part... I have not played Sword and Shield. I don't have enough money for a Switch. One day I will, because uh, it looks fun. It's just that all these games got easier and easier. And it's like, why? I liked it when there was at least a semblance of a challenge in the main story. You'd have to go into doing like tournaments and online battles for it to be challenging. I'm like, yeah, I don't have the time for that. Uh, also, yeah. I think I remember you did like one Gen Eight or Gen Seven Pokemon, and it was really, really surprising because you only did like the first three or four Gens. Anyway, these are the things that you notice when you're on Twitter for a long time, and you get to know somebody pretty well. Uh, yeah. I have had I wanted to have Corey on. I haven't had him on for a long time, but I want to have him on because we're talking about the Central Division uh, and focusing on all these different teams and all these different weird stories, and especially now that the teams that we cover are starting to get into the teeth of it. Corey, of course, as you know, follows the Hurricanes very closely as we follow the Panthers. And this Central Division is really weird. It still is weird because half the teams have played 10 games and half the teams have played 15 because of the pandemic, which all the other divisions except the Canadian Division is now getting into. 
But uh, when we, we came into this season, it looked like it was Tampa. Then there was another group that was probably two, three, four. Then there was another. And then there was Chicago and Detroit. No real division had the stratification that this one did. Uh, it's not played out totally like that yet because the good teams have played only 10 games. But when you've watched some of these teams, particularly in your case when they've played Carolina, what have you seen in this weird division early on? Uh, there's a few teams that are a lot worse than I expected. Nashville is one of them. They have looked absolutely terrible in the games that I've watched. Columbus has been a little underwhelming. Like I know they're like their points percentage isn't bad, but that's kind of just what Columbus and Torts do. They hang around in games and get the loser point a lot, try to win an overtime or a shootout, and they've they've been getting outplayed a lot more than I expected, though. So kind of inter- interested to see where they end up, especially with Roslovic and Line A coming in there. That is and that's a, that's a bit of a that yeah, that's also turned into a bit of a spiral that I did not expect. Dallas I mean Dallas has only played ten games, but they I I kind of expected them to be with Carolina and Tampa, and they kind of are so far, but they just they just lost two straight to Chicago. Granted they were both in overtime, but still like like you, you need to beat Chicago. Like that's pretty standard. And even then the Hawks have won six, six out of 10 or six out of 14. They've gotten points in all but four. So they're kind of a little, they're a little uh, higher than I expected. So it's, it's a little confusing right now. I just, all I really know for certain right now is Tampa Bay is better than everybody else. I think Carolina is good enough. It's just their roster has been in absolute shambles. For the, yeah, because they had the, the first COVID issues, and I think they have some sort of some injury issues. I haven't. I yeah, Morazic. Yeah, Marazic that, that, got hurt that again, hurts. and uh, Nietzsche has a concussion. Trocheck is Trocheck did not play the last game, but that was a weird situation. There, we're not entirely sure where exact. I, I think that's just a day to day thing. But they dressed sixteen. They dressed seventeen skaters to demonstrate an emergency, so they can call up anybody they want without worrying about the cap because somehow they're at the cap ceiling, which I did not expect to happen. So I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of confused by that as well. This whole taxi squad thing and calling up people. So that, I think that's going to get sorted out soon, but either way, like Carolina's roster has been an absolute jumbled mess and they've won seven out of 10 games and they've only played three at home. So I can't really complain with how they started, even if it's not perfect. No, I, and that's like the part of it for me with Florida is, as, as people were saying, you know, they're playing bad teams, but they're 7-1-2 against bad teams. And really, they should be 8-1-1. They threw one game in the trash for no apparent reason. And, like, you can't really argue if, you know, you got a division with teams that are very clearly better than the others. you got to beat up on the bad ones. And in 10 games, they've had one stinker. They lost one in the shootout and one they threw away a point, which they shouldn't have thrown away. Otherwise, they've won the games. And I think in a situation like this, in a division that is very clearly stratified, I, as I suppose it was like, I just can't complain about it because they've beaten who they're supposed to beat. You've done what you're supposed to do. Now let's see what happens when you play the good teams. Um, I want to start, I think, when we look at this division, and I was watching the game Tuesday night with, with Tampa. I mean, they don't have Kucherov, and they're still just Harlem Globetrottering everybody. They're just, it, sometimes it, those that even look like they're trying. And that's what's amazing to me, because normally there is a, you know, when a team wins the cup, sometimes you'll be like, we can go a little bit on autopilot to start the season, and then they'll eventually pick it up. That's what kind of happened last year with Tampa. They had a little hangover, and then eventually they picked it up. 
And this year, again, they also have only played one against the Hurricanes. They haven't played any against Dallas or Florida yet. So maybe it's just they haven't been tested. But they're just looking like, again, for half the game, it doesn't look like they're trying, and they'll still put four up on you, and that's the end of the game. It's, it's amazing how good they are. And even in this season, it's amazing how good they are. Yeah, Tampa's roster is so good. They can kind of just play any play anywhere you want to, and that's kind of what happened in their two-game series against Nashville. Like, the first game was a really low-event game where Tampa was in Tampa was in lockdown mode. It's like, it's like okay, if you want to play that way, we're only going to get, you're only going to limit us to five scoring chances, but you're only getting two. And the last game was a lot more back and forth, and it's like, okay, you want to open it up. Yeah, we'll give up 13 scoring chances, but we have Andre Vasilevsky, so it's not going to be that much of a problem. And we're going to get 18 and probably win, like, 5-1, to 5-3 five, five, or something. So just their roster is so constrict. Their roster is just, it's just too good compared to the rest of the division, especially. So that's why, like, Kucherov missing the entire regular season isn't, I mean, it's a huge deal, but with the way this division is set up, like they're gonna they're gonna finish in first place. I think it would have mattered a little bit more if we were in the normal universe when Toronto is again. It's hard to know how these teams would play against one another because we're not gonna see it until perhaps the conference finals or whatever we're calling them this year. But when four of the better teams in the league by points percentage all play in the Atlantic, actually more be like five, right? Toronto, Montreal, Boston, Tampa, Florida. Like that's insane. It's completely yeah. nuts. And again, there's no way of knowing because they're not playing each other, except in the cases when they're in the same division. But like five of the best teams in the league, or at least the way that they've started, all play in the actual Atlantic. Yeah, I'm a little curious about Montreal in particular, just because they've had, they've beaten up on Vancouver a few times. They've only played Toronto twice, and they lost both games. But like like you said earlier, you got to beat the bad teams, and they've beaten up on. They've been up on some of the like the middle section of that division, like like the Oilers and Calgary, like the Oilers and Calgary. Although, like the Oilers and Calgary, they beat. I think they won most of their games against them. So, like they're getting the job done against who they're supposed to beat. So I can't really fault them for that. But I do wonder if like they would be this good in a normal year, as far as like as far as like their statistics go. Well, they I mean, always I do. were a pretty good possession team. I don't yeah. think it was anything to do with... And now they actually have people who are putting the puck in the net. Yeah, they have a good... I mean, I do like their roster. I do like their roster a fair bit. Like, if Josh Anderson can get back to where he was two years ago. And it looks like he has. And players like Suzuki are taking that next step. To I, I, like... I, I was scared a little bit. I'm like, you know, I'm glad that Montreal was not in the division this year because I always say, okay, they're going to look pretty, they're going to get their shots, but they're not going to be able to finish. And, you know, they'll just have enough to lose but win the stats battle. So everybody's like, oh, they're playing well, but they're, they're unlucky. Uh, this year that's not the case, but that might have to do with the division they're in. Um, the one... Yeah, plus the uh, goaltending is a little more solidified there. With I mean, Jake Allen is making like $4 million as a backup. And they got, and if Price plays like, if Price plays like everybody thinks Carey Price is, or even just like three fourths of that, they're they're gonna coast to probably the conference final there. I think right now like, that's what final. it feels like. Like the only team that might beat them is like it feels like somebody would have to get goalie hot streak, so Calgary or Winnipeg would have to do that. But... I mean, I think Toronto. I mean, I think Toronto is really is really good too. I think they can beat Montreal in a playoff series. Oh, I, I, I would predict yeah. them beating 
Montreal in a playoff series, but yeah. you know, I I think we should save our our powder for when that actually happens because we'll we'll need it for then because that's our entire timeline will be Toronto Montreal tweets. So I think I'm going to hold off on that for now. Yeah, but fair. when it happens, I'll 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 be I'll make sure every night that that those games are on, I'll be watching on Twitter because that'll be as entertaining as anything we've seen, and we need that in our lives at this moment. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about Tampa, just to get back on them for a second, A.J. Malesko made a great point on Tuesday on the NBC broadcast, just talking about how they stack up defensively, and you wouldn't think a Tampa team, you know, the team with all this talent could just stack you up defensively like that. That was a really good point. And you're just like, okay, the Lightning are just light years better than anybody. And it's just in every single facet of the game. And, like, it takes so much just to beat them once. You know, like, you know, it, it felt good to watch them win the Cup because they deserved it because they've been, clearly been the best team in the league over, like, the last four years. But then you watch them just do these things, and you're like, who, who's beating them? Does anybody have it? Like, it feels like nobody's going to have a chance when they're fully healthy because we haven't seen them even fully healthy in the playoffs. Yeah, you know? it's a lot of guys also. A lot of guys that they were able to keep, too, is the, is the big thing because – I know they were trying to get rid of Tyler Johnson. Alex Kalorn makes a lot of money, too, for where he plays in the lineup. But having those guys and playing kind of out of their depth is not a bad thing. Like, one thing I noticed in the uh, playoffs last year, or even all of last season, is that they had a lot of these really quick, skilled players, but they adapted into more of a four-checking game as, like, the season went on. So when they got into those tough games against teams like Dallas or Boston, like, Guys like Yanni Gordon, Tyler Johnson, Alex Kalorn, like if they're getting stacked up at the line, they just chip the puck in and just beat you to it and set up from behind the goal line. And they're very like what makes them so just dangerous and unique is that they're very they're very versatile with how they create offense. They don't necessarily need to make a lot of pretty plays like off the rush or off a cycle or something like that to like to get you. They just like they'll they're fine with settling for point shots and kind of just getting the puck back and eventually breaking down the defense just because they're quicker they're quicker they have a lot of smarter players they're very good about getting they're very good about using the uh, back of the net to get open too like if a play from behind the net isn't there they'll just have a guy kind of sneak around the net and just make a two-on-one situation or make a two-on-one situation in front while like if there's a rebound or a pass from the corner. And the other thing so that's it's like... funny about this team to me is that they lose. I mean, a couple years ago it was Marcia So, and now it's for Hagee. And I've, they, they both ended up going to Florida and both got paid. And well, we'll one will get paid at some point. They, just, they let them walk because at some point they just don't have enough room for them. And it doesn't even matter. Like for most teams, if you lose a player like that, well, that's actually a big problem, right? If, if a team loses a, a, a player like that with some potential they just can't keep him for whatever reason you know that is a huge problem for most teams for the lightning that's a couple of them they just let them walk and it's like yeah who cares the other thing is like look at who they lost last year it was supposed to be a big cap crunch season they ended up trading Braden Coburn and Cedric Paquette which and then boom there's the money to sign Sergachev and Sorelli well I mean they I mean, do have the like bit of luck to LTIR Kucherov, which kicked the can down the road. Yeah, but still, I mean, the players they lost were deaf players who they were going to replace eternally anyway. Next year, they might have to pay the piper a little bit, but even then, it might be Kalorn or Johnson, and they could easily replace them. 
Yeah, they did try to get rid of Kalorin. I mean, uh, Tyler Johnson on waivers twice, but still, like, the fact that he's still on the roster is not a bad thing. No, and, and they but, might lose Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow next year. I think that might end up being a thing. But it's like, yeah, even if they lose them, it's not going to be killer because they'll just find somebody to replace them because that's just what they do. And I'm kind of surprised that Yanni Gord is still on the team. He's making, like, $5 million to play to play as a third liner. But he's, like, he's a really good third liner, though. Like, as far as that role goes, he's going to win his... Like, he's going to win his matchup basically every night. And, yeah, at the end of the season, he might have only, like, 15, 16 goals instead of, like, 20. But, like, you're happy with what you get from him every night, basically. Who, I mean, who? I mean, he's your third-line center. I think most teams would be like, yeah, you know what? I'll have him as my uh, second-line center. I don't care. I'll have him as my first-line. He'll be first-line center for half the league at that this point. And, that and Stamkos is there and healthy now, presumably. Yeah, like, he looks it. Yeah. He's, he looks it. Yeah, it's 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 just it's insane how good like in a cap league, especially now that the cap is flat, the lightning should not exist the way that they do, like the way that they're constructed, the way that they're built should not be allowed, you know, because you see teams that, you know, the Penguins have to kick the can down the road all these years. The Blackhawks, look at what they're dealing with right now, because they again kick the can down the road. The Red Wings, you know, just to keep making the playoffs, it's five years now of their being in the complete dumpster. And here are the Lightning. I'm like, yeah, they're going to be fine for, like, it feels like they'll be fine for another decade. It's just not yeah. going to matter. Yeah, eventually. I do wonder what's going to happen when Brayden Point needs a new contract in two years. But I assume it's going to be fine, though, because there's probably going to be other guys coming off the books that they can move at that point. Like, they do have some, they do have some contracts that aren't exactly ideal on their, on their books, but I don't, they haven't had to face the music on that yet. I'm guessing they're, I'm guessing they're going to try to win the cup a couple more times before Braden Point needs a new contract. So I would suspect yeah. that they'll be a favorite this year and next year. I mean, it's yeah, just... it's been it's been what three or four years now where they were pretty much the favorite. Well, I look back. Of course, they made the final in 15. Then they lost in Game Seven of the conference final in 16. 17, they had all those injuries and missed, but they shouldn't have missed. 18, conference final losing Game Seven. They got Blue Jackets to 19, and then they win the cup. Like, sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, just like I said, the roster is just too good. There's, they, they're probably just going to coast to the uh, division well, I wonder, championship. Like, Although, part of me wonders, as we're recording this before they play Florida the first time, like, I wonder if, you know, everybody's going to give them their best shot, right? Because the Hurricanes, I mean, the one game was a goalie duel, right? And that, Carolina won one nothing in overtime. They haven't played Dallas yet, which I know they'll get up for. But, like, I wonder if a game like that poses a different challenge to them. You know, like, when they're playing Florida, who, obviously, the, the Panthers want this to be a thing. Like, and I want this to be a thing. I think the Panthers and Lightning need to have a rivalry. Not good for Tampa's sake. They, are, they don't need it. But for Florida's sake, it would really help the entire, you know, the, the sport in the state and the Panthers particularly to have a rivalry that isn't, you know, the opposing fans come into the building because it's warm. You know, like Montreal or somebody like that or the Rangers. And... Like, part of me thinks that this Panthers team can actually play with them as opposed to recent years where the Panthers could never play with the Lightning. But, like, I wonder if a game like these games actually makes the Lightning think a little more. Because it looks like you're watching them play, and other than that game against maybe the Hurricanes, like, they didn't have to think very hard. You know, they just did their thing and that was it. You know, and I wonder if that that same thing is going to happen with the Hurricanes and the Panthers and the Stars when they eventually start playing each other. Because it looks pretty clear like they're the four best teams in the division as of right now. Like, maybe that's the point when they start thinking a little bit more, and it looks like, you know, the teams like Tampa and Dallas are 
having to sweat more than they've had to just to start the season. Yeah, I am wondering what's going to happen when the top four starts to play each other a little bit. Like, Carolina hasn't really... Well, Carolina had to play Dallas twice at home on a back-to-back, and they won both games, one in a shootout, but that did that, that kind of had a playoff intensity feel to it. The first game was a little weird because uh, Morazic got knocked out in the first minute, and Carolina scored, like, two power play goals in, like, the first period, and that was over. And the second game, Dallas... Dallas got up for it a lot more. It was pretty competitive. And both those teams look pretty evenly matched. Even when they played Tampa Bay, um, Carolina was really shorthanded then because of the COVID problems. And uh, they, I mean, they went back and forth with them. It was a really competitive game. It looked like a playoff game. And I was impressed. Like, Carolina could definitely hang with Tampa. And that says a lot about how I think, like, the Hurricanes can do in this division as far as, like, making a playoff run. Because it showed me, like, okay, the top end of this roster can't keep up with, like, Point and Stamkos. I want to talk now about the Hurricanes, because this this team has always fascinated me the last couple years. Obviously, we know that they're going to win the expected goals battle every night. They're going to blow you out on the shot clock. That's just who they are. But what was the difference between the team under, you know, disgraced man Bill Peters and now under Brenda Moore, where they actually went turning all of that talk possession and all of the good things into actually winning. Because for a while, you know, and I know you know this, like they'd always win these battles, but they never win the games. You know, they'd always, something would conspire to make them lose. And now that doesn't happen. Is it just that they now have better talent to go along with the, the system that's always been there? Is it, oh, they're getting a save now every now and again from Morazic and Reimer, which I still think is the, is the big holdup I have with them. What is it that transformed them from, Corsi gods to, okay, now we're going to win these games. We're actually going to beat you. It's having the top end talent on the roster for one. And I, I mean, there's, I don't really know this for sure, but I, I feel like the team morale was definitely low under Peters, just based on everything we know about what was going on there. And Brenda Moore is like a totally different head coach from him. He's not really a huge X's and O's guy. He's more of like, he's more like the motivator getting guys up for games and kind of, making the just give you more leeway to the players and what they want to do on the ice as far as like as far as like how they want to play because it, it feels like it because i mean we obviously was, know who works there is it is it like i don't know how to put it it's like does it feel like there's a dictate from above like this is how we think we should play and brendan moore's like yeah that'll work so I, we'll just do that i don't know cause like sometimes i feel like there's some disconnect there just based on how some of the signings have worked have some of their signings that have worked out. Like Ryan Dezingle hasn't really fit in. Jake Gardner's been in, in and out of the doghouse. Uh, he's playing third pair. Like they didn't sign him for $4 million to play 13 minutes a night on the second power play unit. So I think there is some disconnect there, but that just might be a signing that they were, they thought they were getting this with Jake Gardner when they're actually getting like a 30 year old player with a bum shoulder and a bad back and whatever else is ailing him. So I don't really know what exactly is going on there, but it kind of went in segments because the first few months under Brenda Moore were not exactly great. And then they just kind of turned a corner once Jordan, like Jordan Stahl got injured uh, around Christmas of 2018. And that forced them to not only move Ajo to center, but he basically became their do it all player because everybody else was hurt. So, like, Ajo and Teravainen started playing, like, 23, 24 minutes a night. And the team just kind of took off from there. 
And then Smechnikov got more ice time as the season went on. Williams started scoring a few goals here and there, and they just could not stop. They just couldn't stop uh, winning. And I, I also think just winning a few games also helped them too, because it's like, hey, this is actually working now. Like, so we can, uh, like, this is actually working now. Like, we have a process that we can trust. And uh, then into the next year, it was. I mean, they started off hot, but they were kind of lagging along a little bit. They were still going to make the playoffs, which is higher than it was last year. But the way they were playing was a little broken because the year before they were very much a they were very much like a rush based team. They carry the puck in a lot. They try to set up a cycle from there and they kind of they kind of played the long game as far as like generating offense goes. Like they take a lot of shots from the boards and hope that they can tire out the defense and get a rebound with an outnumbered situation in front. But the next year, it just became total dump. It just became like total just chip and chase nonstop, which it works for some players. Like they gave leeway to guys like Aho and Sveshnikov and Marty Natchez, just because that's like their high skill players don't try to tame them. But the rest of the roster was playing a very like low percentage game when I call it because you're basically just flinging the puck out of harm's way and hoping you get it relying on your speed to get it back. And I feel like it hurts some players like the had a terrible season. He's off to another really kind of a rough start, like off to kind of a rough start. Eric Halla had a good start and then had to get traded because Wolf. he Wolf is my opinion to that. Yeah, he was off. Like he scored ten goals in his first few games, like just from being in front of the net off the pa- on the power play a few times. But then, as the season went on, he had a leg injury. His speed wasn't there anymore, and then he just could not. He just could not play the system because it relies so much on speed to get to loose pucks. And he's what he is doing most of the time is just flinging it out of the zone and hoping he gets it back. So they replaced him with Trocheck and hope that's been a lot better. <laughs> Because well, Trocek, yeah, yeah Trocek I is mean, faster, and well, I, I don't think he was fully healthy last year. Like he played fine, but he just was not getting any goals. And now the bounces are going in for him, and he's got like six goals now. Well, so, I'm going to talk about Trocek in a second because he is yeah. a player that obviously we know quite well over here, and I have had issues with it. I love him. I think he's a great player, but I had issues with him, and I'll get to that point in a second. The thing about that that trade, though, that's funny. I'll ask you also about another member of that trade in just a second uh, as well. Like that, that the whole situation with Carolina is the way that they play. It looks obviously, you know, the way that they move the puck and the way that they possess the puck. It's like, you'll see the meme like, oh, they're out shooting their opponent 28 to eight today. Look at that. That's, that's the hurricanes. What is it that like you, you say, like they're dumping and chasing more. It's not the quite the game they played when they went to the conference final. What, what is it? Is the, is the meme overused is basically what I'm trying to say. I mean, I mean, yes and no. Like, there are, I mean, yes and no. Like, yeah, they do generate a lot of, they generate a lot of chances that are rated high because they're so close to the net. But, like, there's only four, there was only a few players on the team last year that constantly made, like, high percentage plays that are tough to defend. Otherwise, it's it was kind of easy to defend. I think Boston figured it out quickly. The Rangers didn't because the Rangers can't defend. Whereas Boston, ah, no shock there. Yeah, whereas Boston is more of a well-structured team, and they kind of knew that it was like, okay, this team is not going to try to beat us off the rush, so we don't have to worry about that. So we can kind of, we can kind of back off, give them the line if they're going to take it, and then just protect the house. 
and anytime they're going to try to create a rebound, we're just going to clear it. And that's what happened a lot. And this year, it's this year so far, it's been a little better on that front. Like they're not constantly just flinging the puck from all angles. Granted, it's kind of tough to tell because like their first three or four games looked like glorified preseason games just because there was no preseason, abbreviated training camp, all that. But the last few games, I can see that they're they're coming together a little better. Like, I think, like, uh, against Dallas, I feel like that's where they looked, that's where they've looked the best all season. Like, where they can, they're, like, yeah, they're still dumping the puck in a lot, but they're also kind of, they're defending really well. Like, they're not getting burned off the rush as they were last year because they're not being as aggressive offensively. So, like, they're not getting, three guys aren't getting caught deep more than they were last year. So... <clears throat> So yeah, let's, I, let's I, I think they, I think they're a little more well structured now. But yeah, there is some truth to the whole X to the whole XG thing. Not kind of to them not performing their XGs because they're relying so much on rebound chances and kind of close, close plays from behind the net that are they're high quality chances, but they're also kind of easy to defend if you have a team that knows it's coming. Yeah, and I think that that might be something that we see this year. You know, because everybody's going to play each other so much. Like, eventually, you know, your Tampa's and Dallas, who's a very good defensive team, is going to figure that out and can scheme it. It kind of did against the second game against Dallas. It kind of did. I'm interested to see how Florida plays against it because the Panthers for years have been really bad against the Hurricanes. They had no idea how to defend that. Now, part of that was because they stunk defensively. This year they're better, so I wonder how that's going to play out. My next question is about our beloved Vincent Trocek, who is playing much better now for the Hurricanes. And, I, again, I want to see that. I like Vinny a lot. I think he's got a, a great chance to succeed. And he was the first, you know, sacrificial lamb in the uh, things are not right in the room, you know, at the end of the season last year. And I joked in the playoffs that he was always the guy who had the big smiley face on when his line mate scored a goal that he had no part in. Because that was always what Trocek looked like was happening in the playoffs last year. This year he's actually scoring, so good for him. But the thing that I always – frustrated me about Trocek is under the Panthers, the way that they played under Bugner and under Quenville, you know, and really ever since Gallant was fired, he would always play kind of unhinged. And I mean that in the, he'd try to do everything. He'd overplay it, I think, too much. And now is he finally being able to, to play within that kind of structured system, the way the Hurricanes want to play? And because like at the end in Florida, he was not doing that. And it cost them big time because he tried to do hero ball too much and it never worked out. Maybe that was he had that line mates that never worked. Is he now finally clicking for him because he's in that system that better suits his talents? Yeah, he's actually kind of been the opposite of uh, what you're saying this year. Yeah, he's got five, six goals, but his like the stats that I track, I track passes and I, tr- I track passes and shots basically. And his uh, five on five like individual contributions are really low, but his line is absolutely crushing as far as like possession goes. And a lot of that's because a lot of that is because Nino Niederreiter and Marty Natchez are just like are just like possession beats. They keep the puck below the goal line a lot. They take any shot they can. They're very good about I mean they're very good about living to fight another day. Like if they have to revert to the point, they will do that. And they and that kind of opens up Trocheck to get some rebound chances because he's been very good about He's been very good with, like, kind of getting to the interior and, like, winning box outs in front against defensemen. 
but just how he's gotten a few of his goals. He's gotten a couple deflections, a couple, one of them he actually scored off his face. Um, That's all oh, his getting, pretty face. We can't yeah, do that to him. Getting into rebounds too, but he's been very good about like, he, he kind of does it all as far as like neutral zone play goes and getting the puck out of the zone, which helps because that allow that gives Niederreiter and Nietzsche a lot more space on the ice. Cause like he, he's very good about drawing defenders way after entering the zone. And even though he's not the one creating like most of the offense off cycles and such, he's still contributing by like cleaning up the garbage in front, which is what they kind of wanted from him because what they needed last year was a guy who was a guy in the second and third lines who could drive transition play. Cause last year it was basically just Aho, Sveshnikov and Nietzsche this year. And Trocek was Trocek was like a godsend there like he didn't it, have it's so funny because it sounds like things i never saw in florida and maybe some of that was because he's playing with mike hoffman who does nothing at even strength or he's playing with all sorts of people who i'm glad i forget he played with because i got sick of that really fast you know and now he actually has the ability to i just wonder if like they tried playing with uberto some and it didn't really work you know, they try playing with a bunch of players, but he never played with anybody quite as good as you say Niederreiter and Natchez in possession. Like, because there was a point, you know, when he was playing with Riley Smith and UC Oakland in the year when they won the division, he was a lot better at that. And maybe that was because they played for Gallant, who wanted that, you know, aggressive kill you on the cycle four check kind of game, a much heavier kind of game that they eventually ended up just being a pond hockey team. And maybe that just didn't suit him very well. And I'm, I'm starting to think that that was what was wrong. Like, I, I think now that he's playing in that system and you're seeing the goal scoring and every time I, I pop into a Hurricanes game, that's when I go I'm like, oh, good for him. He's not the final guy in on the on the hugs and celebrations. He's actually doing something now. Yeah, he, he's been very good in that kind of second line. Well, yeah, it is the second line. I'm kidding. Like the Hurricanes don't really know their lines, but he like he's been exactly who they wanted to be so far. Like he's taking what I noticed in Florida, like with my tracking is he had a lot of. He kind of he was kind of a Mr. Do it all. He had a lot of shots, a lot of them weren't exactly great, a lot from the perimeter, a lot of carry ins with no passes, no no scoring chances. Like a lot of empty calorie type of plays. Like they weren't there. Like he was very good, like as far as creating offense off the rush, like the first like the first two or three years that I tra- I started tracking this stuff. And then last year it was a lot of empty calorie plays. Whereas yeah, this year, that, that makes very that makes very good sense to me because that's what that's what I can remember. Obviously, I don't have the ability to track this stuff and and to present the data the way you do. Yeah, uh, so the... it, it's fascinating to me that that's because because it, it feels like they finally maximized his talents. You know? Yeah, I, I think just putting him with Niederreiter is the big thing because they he kind of struggled in his little brief tenure in his like after they traded for him. Just because they couldn't figure out who to play him with, like who's the best fit for him. Really, he was only good on the penalty kill. He had no points, but he was he, he had the typical no points, but he's doing a lot of the right things, just no bounces. And this year finally pucks are starting to go in. So that's kind of the that's kind of the big thing. But putting him with Niederreiter has really been like the the big thing that's made it go. I wonder how Trocek would have played with Patrick Hornquist this year. I wonder what that would have been like, because Hornquist is not Niederreiter, but Hornquist is, is kind of a similar player in some ways. Oh, yeah, for Maybe sure. Maybe that would have made him better, because, you know, like, Hornquist has been so good for the Panthers. They've never had a player like him, and he's really transformed the way that they play in so many different areas, and I, I wonder what Trocek would have been like with him. I think they gave up on him too soon, and they traded him for, you know, we need to shock the dressing room kind of reasons, 
and I, I wasn't heartbroken to see him leave. But, you know, I wonder what it would have been like on this team this year, actually with better line mates. You know, a Trocek, Huberto, Hornquist line would have worked a lot better than whatever the hell they tried the last couple of years, which never worked. Curious about that. Now, I do want to transition to Florida a little bit, and I don't know how much you remember Etulos Duranen playing for the Hurricanes. Maybe you do, because I, I was it eight games and an assist last year. And he's actually been a very good third-line center and pretty good defensively, which I didn't see coming because I didn't really know a ton about him. And uh, obviously, Hall and Walmart did zippity-doot on both are gone. And Prisky was a guy who was included because he was born in South Florida, so it's a good little PR win, but doesn't actually help the team. But Los Duranen's been pretty good. Did you? Is there anything from him that you noticed? And then when you watched the last game, are you surprised at the way he's playing? Because I'm quite surprised at how he's turned out to be actually a pretty good third-line center, and he's even played some second-center minutes. Yeah, yes and no. He did have some flashes in his little his little brief call-up period, but he, he was playing fourth-line minutes last year, and he didn't really get a chance to do much. Like, he, he showed pretty good speed and decent puck skills, but just, like, they were struggling to, they were struggling out to fill that fourth line last year, so they were giving guys eight games apiece each time, and he didn't do much, and then they call up Clark Bishop, he makes a play, and then, boom, he's there until he gets hurt. And uh, he didn't really get a chance to do much, and I was kind of surprised to give up on him so quickly, but he also wasn't drafted by this uh, front office. Like, he was still, he was a Francis pick, so I think that's why they have slowly been phasing out a lot of those players just because, like, they weren't drafted by this front office. They're getting to that age where it's like you need to see if they're good or not. And they re- and they just don't have – they just didn't have enough roster space on top of that. So he, I thought Florida was a good spot for him just because they kind of have – just because they had a bit of a facelift with how many different players they were bringing in. So it's like, okay, he's eventually going to get a shot there whether it be this year or two years from now. And uh, I'm not really surprised he's playing well. He seemed like somebody who could be a great penalty killer. He is a very as far good penalty as, like, killer. Very like, good penalty killer. Yeah, kind of like what Hollow was supposed to, well, Hollow was when he was in Minnesota, like a really fast two-way penalty killer kind of kind of guy, plays on your third line. You're pretty happy what you get from him every night. Like, he'll never make any huge mistakes. Like, he won't lie you every night, but at the end of the day, he'll... He'll be a positive possession player, play a few minutes on the penalty kill, and get the job done. So I'm not really surprised. I I did watch, I did just track their game against the Red Wings from the other night, and I noticed him a lot, especially on the penalty killer. I was pretty happy to see that. He's, I was pretty happy to see that he's fitting in there, just because I liked, um, I I liked him when uh, the Hurricanes drafted him. Seems like well, obviously we also like Finns at Y Hockey. Very big fan of Finland, which both teams are big fans of Finland, as it seems out. And I was just he he played, and I didn't know what to expect from him. And you'd watch him go, oh wow, actually this works quite well. Scored in the first game, had another goal against, and it again I call that just a found money player, like. He might not be there when the team, if the team actualizes, but right now, you're not getting rid of him. He, he's 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 earned his spot. Now again, he's playing against mostly bad teams. Let's see what happens when good teams figure out how to deal with him. But like, how is he going to play against Gianni Gord is a good question. But you know, for a player like that, I'm not going to complain. I'm I'm quite pleased with that. And as as Tommy mentioned on the show that just came out, he's like Dale Talon always is going to say, "I knew Los and had this in him. I knew it." Because the Panthers did not win that trade, but uh, they could say that they got 
most drained form. And Bill Zito is much more inclined to give players like that a chance, I think, than previously would have been the case. And, and Joe Quenville seems to like him. He trusts him. He puts him on in defensive zone situations. He's on at the end of games when the net's empty. So I'm, I'm pleased with him. And, you know. It... Yeah, oddly enough, uh, he reminds me of, like, Lucas Walmart when uh, the Hurricanes called him up. Just because, like, he... better a better version and a more consistent version of, of that kind of player. You know, yeah. they wanted to get that with Hall and Walmart, and they didn't. And now Los Duran has kind of turned into that. Yeah, just like that Swiss Army Knife player that plays on the lower lines. Like, that's what Walmart was for his first uh, couple of years with the Hurricanes until they, I don't know, there was, just a cap, there was just a cap on what he can do. They had to, he was about ready to get a new contract, so I think he was an RFA. And it was like, okay, we can probably replace this guy from within. Like, we're happy with what he gave for us for, like, however long he was here. But it's like, it's time to it's time to like move on from him. Like I think that was the problem they ran into with Lewis Green in two, because they had a lot of prospects that were kind of in that same tier where it's like, yeah, we think he's gonna be an NHLer, but we don't know how good of an NHLer he'll be. And they use so many of their, they use so many of their like guys that play higher in the lineup on the penalty kill. Like Jordan Stahl plays a lot on the penalty kill. Aho and Teravine do too. They just put they start putting Nietzsche on the penalty kill. So eventually, there's just no, there's no, not a real spot for guys like him or even Yanni Kuokkanen. It's a Chari, Wenberg, Barkov, and Losteranen, which is you know three of your four. I'm like, I don't care if you're playing on the penalty kill. And Barkov's playing on the penalty kill because he's too good not to. So yeah. And it's, it's so funny. I mean, Barkoff and Lostrain work really well. The Panthers' penalty kill last year was trash for most of the year, and this year it's been really good. So I'm, I'm amused by how it's, it's worked. And so I need to ask you now, just in general, what your thoughts are for the Panthers. They tracked one game, and it wasn't one of their better performances. Bobrovsky, of course, gives up a stinker, but then plays really well the rest of the way. From that one game, and I can tell you, based on what I've watched after that, what I've seen from the Panthers otherwise, what, do you, what did you think about them in that one game? Yeah, I've done a couple of their games. I'm a little behind just because they play so weird in the day that they're kind of get lost in the shovel sometimes. But yeah, I I think they, I mean, they look like a pretty good team. Like when I look at the roster, there's like not, there's not a lot of players that I'm like, wow, that guy shouldn't be in the NHL or this guy stinks. Like they have a pretty decent roster solid from top to bottom. And when they're going up against like the underbelly of this division, like they can probably like, they can probably win those games without much of a problem, like against your Detroits and your Chicago's of the world, or even your Nashville's like Nashville has not looked good at Nashville all to me. Stinks. Like, I, I'm going to say it now. I predicted well, that they would be sixth in the division. Cause I'm like, I can't trust John Hines. He is a terrible coach and it doesn't well, matter. And, like, and then I watched them in the first game they played against Florida and the Panthers gave that game away, but I was watching it. I'm going, Oh my God, they're terrible. They are crap. I well, don't yeah, understand just how go... this happened. Yeah, just look at their, I mean, you compare their four forward lines, and yeah, Florida, yeah, Florida is a bit of a face, did have a bit of a facelift, and like, you do have to kind of remember who was on that team sometimes, but you compare their four lines to Nashville, like, it's, I'm probably taking Florida, like, because at least they have four lines that can drive play and score. I am, I'm doing that now, I'm doing that now. I did like, I mean, I did like their offseason, like, they had kind of a sneaky good offseason, like, I... Uh, just from getting rid of Matheson, turn him into Hornquist. 
You and, want to talk about one of my and I we were way we were very hard on Mike Matheson and I and I think a lot of that for us was he is emblematic of everything wrong with the way the Panthers were built for many years and to get him for Hornquist was just what and like I didn't expect Hornquist to be this good no one did but he's just been so perfect for what they needed and his role is exactly what this team had lacked for so many years you know just being a giant asshole in front of the net and doing these little things that they never had before. Because usually it would be Barkoff or somebody else who's doing that, and that takes away all the good things that they do. And now, you know, you can tell that this team has kind of responded really well to what Hornquist has brought in, and it's like, of, of all the Bill Zito moves, like, that's the one that stands out to me. And it was the first movie made. I'm like, wow. That's yeah. a, that is a more, like, usually the Panthers on the losing end of trades like that. That was a marvelous move, and I, I can't say enough how much I've loved watching Hornquist play for the Panthers. That it's been just, so much fun. That and just their whole offseason was just finding complimentary players to go along with Barkov, Huberto, and Ekblad. And, yeah, like, none of them are, like, I think for Hagee was the one swing kind of, it, I mean, it's it's funny that they did the March so thing again with Verhage because, like, they did. Every, everybody that kind of looks at everybody that kind of looks at stats is like, okay, this is a guy that's going to absolutely take off. Like, if once he gets the uh, minutes, and then boom, he signs in Florida, and he's got what six goals already. Yeah, and he plays top line minutes, which is it's it. The thing that's different between him and Marcheseau is Marcheseau is much more of a heavy forecheck guy. Fits really well with Gallant in Vegas and now DeBoer because that's the way they play. Verhage's a lot faster. You know, he's a, he's more of a rush player, but the intelligence that he has and the way he's combined with Barkov and Duclair, who was also, by the way, he hasn't scored a goal yet, poor guy, but he has been super good. Yeah, you know, I, doing I thought... all these other things that, you know, like all these guys and they, they just said, we're going to take flyers. And Bill Zito knows I might as well just see what I have and I can bring in guys, you know, who can – can give me something and if they don't work there's no penalty if they do work great you know it was that entire off season of moves like that and pretty much all of them have worked in 10 games yeah also yeah also it's just they they brought in a lot of guys that can crush kind of third fourth line competition like like I, that's what Nudavara did in Columbus a lot and, and I know he hasn't played every game but I thought he looked pretty good against uh I mean, against Detroit last night or a couple nights ago. Gudis has always been kind of a weird player as far as, like, if he's good or not. But, like, on your second pair, I don't hate that. And he's they playing, have... If they're actualizing, he's playing third-pair minutes. And what they're doing with him is they're basically saying, hey, you do the things you're good at. Don't overthink it. Leave yeah, that to Keith like... Yandel. And it's worked very well thus far. He's made a couple of boneheaded plays. But, you know, the, the typical Radko Gudis is... He's going to hit you hard in the corner. He's going to make a bit hit. And then two minutes later, here's the dumbest penalty you've ever seen. Yeah. It hasn't like, really happened yet. That's what I've noticed, like, with a few games I've watched. Like, he's been really aggressive, like, standing up at the line, which is something that he kind of struggled with. Well, he sort of struggled with the Flyers because he would get beat a lot. But he's not playing, like, he's not playing, like, 25 minutes a game now. No, so. they're just, they're, he's using him in a very reserved, this is your role, this is what we want you to do, and either he's played with Strawman or Yandel at this point, and he's just doing, as, a, as Tommy said, and I really like this, they're not asking him to do more than he's, not that he's capable of, but they're not asking him to think very hard. These are the things you're good at, do that. The other guy who you're playing with will do the thinking. Yeah, and so I think that's worked to maximize what he's really good at, and it's worked. 
So I wanted to ask about Keith Yandel a little bit. Mm. Oh, fun topic. Yandel is, yeah, Yandel is one of those players that he always rates really high by my tracking just because that's the type of game he plays. He's an excellent passer still, like really good, really good at exiting the zone, leading breakouts, that kind of thing. Like, but if you look at, if you look at more of like the on ice impact stats, he does not rate well at all. I think he's actually, a by Micah's model, he was actually a huge drag. I'm not sure what Evolving Wild stats say as far as, like, expected goals. I don't have Patreon because I'm poor and I can't, you know, to, I would love to look at those. The thing with Yandel... But I know, like, year after year, he's a negative player in that Ooh, aspect. He but... is a negative... Okay, I'll, I'll explain the Yandel thing. We, we talk about puck rushers all the time. Like, the guys who would try to do it all leaving the zone and rush the puck in, right? You know, that's, that's what the Matheson types of defensemen, you know what I mean? Those are the kind of types of defensemen that the Panthers loaded up on. Yandel was, is the last remnant of that 2016 offseason that's still on the team. And it always frustrated me because, you know, he, he, he passes the puck well, but he played in re, in, when he started in Florida, he played a lot of minutes, and it never worked with him in Ekblad. They didn't gel. Then they tried playing him with, you know, a bunch of other guys, but under Bugner, they played him a ton. And then Joel Quenville quickly realized, oh, he's not actually that good defensively anymore, and he's not as fast as he was anymore, so you have to play him down the lineup. So you'd see him play with Mark Pesic before he became a forward or any number of different guys, and you, everything for him was maximized by, okay, he's really good in the power play, that's great, but five on five, you can't play him any meaningful minutes because he's going to get torched. Right, you know? so and, let's just... And what, and what happened this offseason is... You know, Yandel is in many ways emblematic of that style of play I was talking about and just the last four years of the Panthers. If I think of those, those years, I think, oh, I think of Keith Yandel. Is that's who he is, right? And there's also, you know, the Boston aspects, the tying in with some people from Boston I'm not huge fans of. You can take guesses to who those other people are. And there's a lot of, you know, that that comes into play. And they quickly realized, Joel Quenville did, and then Bill Zito realized, you know, this guy isn't really good anymore, except at the two things he's good at. And so they tried to phase him out. And it didn't work, and I knew they were never going to scratch him because you're not going to end that streak via a healthy scratch. You're going to wait until he's hurt. Uh, and what I wanted them to do, like, they, I think if they were in a better universe where they could have traded him, they easily would have traded him by now, but they can't. So they're kind of just stuck with him playing. But what's happened this year is now that he's playing with competent defensemen, like asking Radko Gudis to do the two things Radko Gudis does well, and that he actually looked pretty decent when he played with Noel Juleson, who is another guy who I've, I've liked and he's played in his two games, and we'll see if he rotates in the lineup. They've just said, here, Keith, do what you're good at. We're going to let your partner do all the other hard stuff. They're going to stand up at the line. They're going to be the physical one. You can do the things you're good at. And he still made very boneheaded plays. He still made bad passes. He still made, you know, dumb penalties. You know, he's done Keith Yandel stuff. But it's been not as magnified because Joel Quenville realized quickly last year, I can't play him in heavy minutes. So I'm just going to hope that if I put him with X, Y, and Z, you know, that, he, that his partner can do the stuff that he cannot do anymore and that he'll just be focused on the passing and the zone exits and setting up these plays and so far it's worked because Gudis has been pretty good at that. They played him with Noah Juleson, who isn't Radko Gudis, but I've liked his game a little bit. You know, I figured they might play him with Nudivar at some point, and they haven't yet, but maybe they will. 
Like, he's just playing with better partners, and because he's not playing many even-strength minutes anymore, the problems with Keith Yandel are not magnified in the same way. Like, it's going to look bad on a lot of these stats, and I know that, and that's perfectly acceptable because I've accepted that's what Keith Yandel is at this point, and he's still very good on the power play. Right. But, you know, what is what is working right now is Joel Quenville said, hey, I'm not going to ask you to do more than you're capable of. And I think Keith Yandel finally realizes, hey, let me do the things I'm good at because I can't be a first-pair defenseman anymore. I can't even be a second-pair defenseman. There's just too much that he's just not capable of doing anymore. And now I think the fact that he accepted it and the fact that he's comfortable in that role is probably why it's working better. And just the team around him is better than it ever was the last couple of years, which helps. But I think that's why it's worked better than I thought it would work with the end of this year. Now, listen, I still want him traded. I still think he's not a Panther next year because after they did what they did to him, there's almost no way he can come back. And it is imperative to the Panthers offseason that they get rid of one of Strawman and Yandel, but that's an offseason question. But the players that they brought in and the fact that systemically they look much more like a Joel Quenville team has probably muted Yandel's badness. I, I, I ran around the, the, the block a few times, but I think that's the best explanation I can give for Keith Yandel right now. Yeah, I yeah, I was always curious about him because he is a guy who some people still value just because of his offense. Like, at the end of the day, he always is among the point leaders and defensemen because of all what he does in the he power play. He was last play. year, and that and he's because still... his power play is, was really good, and it yeah. is still really good this yeah, year. Yeah, he was also the guy setting up Hoffman from the point a lot, and they, that was their entire power play, just set up Hoffman. Yeah, and, and it worked. This year yeah. it's very different because obviously you don't have that, and this year it's a lot more try to get it to the front of the net and let Hornquist do something. And that, I think that's a good sign for Andrew Burnett, who coaches the power play. You know, he completely readjusted the way that that first power play ran because now they go with two defensemen with Ekblad and Yandel, Huberto, Barkoff, and Hornquist. And it's still working almost as good as it worked a year ago. So that's really good credit to Andrew Burnett, by the way, to, to making that work. I think what's interesting about this team this year, and I don't know, maybe you saw it in your tracking, is they look a lot more like a Joel Quenville team. Like last year when they played, it reminded me a lot of how they played under Bugner. A lot of rushing, a lot of point shots, you know, a lot of let's create offense by beating you with our speed because that's all we have. Not a lot of cycling. This year, they don't rush the puck as much. The defensemen don't do a lot of the dirty work carrying the puck in over the, over the offensive blue line, and they cycle a lot more. They still get a lot of point shots. You know, that's, that's a big part of their offense. I wish it wasn't. But they, they do cycle the puck a lot more. They do forecheck a little bit better. Like, it, it, it's not anywhere near the Blackhawks level when they were winning the Cup, but it looks a lot more like peak-era Blackhawks than anything I saw last year. I wonder if you say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched enough to really say, but the point shots are always going to be part of a Quinville team just because that's kind of what they... That's just kind of what they do to sort of soften up the defense and kind of wear them out a little bit. But, like, the point shot is never... Like, it's never, like, a an opportunity to score for them sometimes like in the, with the Hawks they had, they did a lot of plays where they shot it intentionally wide and kind of just create a puck battle from there and hopefully create a goal line chance or something off the wall but from I mean from what I saw the from what I saw in the two games I watched I would agree with that because like the defense does hang back a lot more now that was why I asked about Yandel because Yandel's main one of his main things is how he skates the puck out of the zone and kind of leads rushes and with Quenville they 
the defense, his teams usually regroup and reset a lot and go for longer passes. And ideally, I feel like that's better because like you want your forwards carrying the puck in more if they're going to create something off the rush as opposed to a defenseman. But that also depends on your roster, too. Last year, they were... I mean, they had two defensemen playing wing last year. Like I know. That, like, it was yeah, hilarious. So at that point, it's like, I don't know what is better, having Yandel lead the rush or having Mark Pesic lead it. So, Well, that's yeah. why I was saying, like, this team feels a lot more like a Quenville team because by November, December last year, I think Quenville realized, oh, crap, I can't play the way I want to play. This roster isn't set for it. So yeah. I'm just going to go like, all right. Let's rush it. Let's see what happens. Because you had Mike Matheson, right? Mike Matheson was the king of trying to do it all himself, carry it over the blue line, and it failed spectacularly most of the time. Yeah, he had a good rookie season. I don't know what happened to him after that. He he was the only player in that horrific Tom Rowe year that played well. And then whatever Bob Bugner and Jack Capuano did to him screwed with his psyche, and he's been broken ever since. I don't know what they did to him, but that's what happened. Yeah, there is kind of... There, there are. There's like a new breed of players like him, defensemen who rush the puck a lot, but don't create anything. But that's kind of what they do to get noticed. Like, and, if and that's that's what I talk about with puck rushers. That was Pesic. That was Yandel. That was all of them. And that was the hallmark of that off season. And their entire defense core was like that. And you can't win playing like that because they know how to stop. If you can stop one of them, you can stop all of them. And now they actually don't have, other than Yandel, any defensemen that do that. And thank God, because now their defense is just eons better than it was. Yeah, you know. it just, I mean, I mean, Ekblad does that sometimes, but he's very good as a trailer, though, as more rather than a puck rusher. Well, one of the things I loved about your tracking detail was talking about, I think, how he's great at breaking up zone entries. You know, yeah, he'll get up at the line and stack that up and how Mackenzie Wieger also pretty good at that and how they complement each other really well. And that was one of the few things that Quenville figured out last year was like, these guys actually play really well together. They have a great complementary skill set. And the team looked a lot better once Ekblad and Uyghur started playing together. And that's why we were really gung-ho about them, you know, re-signing him. Because, like, you have a per- – I mean, I want somebody else, you know, on this team who can take the load off of Aaron Ekblad a little bit, who is, by the way, just leveling up again, having another immensely great start to this season. I'm so happy for him because he is such a good player. But Uyghur is a perfect complement. You know, like, I, I don't want to say it's like the, you know, like how everybody, like some people get paid because they played with Sidney Crosby kind of thing. You know, like you'd have these one guys who would just go up, they'd play with Crosby and they just fit for whatever reason. They can never fit anywhere else. Like Mackenzie Weger might not be great if he played with anybody else, but he works perfectly well with Aaron Eckblad in a way that they just mesh so well. And it's why I think, you know, because when he was in trade rumors to Toronto, I was like, no, 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 you're not trading him. And everybody was like, oh, look at his numbers. They're great. And it's like, oh, I got in. It's like it's like knowing that band before they somehow got big. Yeah, that was. That's what it kind of felt like with Mackenzie Weger for me. Because he's a player that I picked up on a while ago. And, you know, last year he kind of took off because they played him with Aaron Eckblad most of the time. And it worked. And now it's it's working again. I still think they need another defenseman to just help, you know, balance out everything a little bit more. But it's just that I think the whole style of the team changed in a way from those puck rushers to – what it is now and that's why i think they're just they're just better than they were yeah that's that's kind of the thing with uh that's sort of the thing that kind of people are finding out with zone entry tracking because i think a lot of people assume that like if you care like if you have a defenseman who can carry the puck in like that's a good thing 
But, like, yeah, you got to do something after you gain the line, though. Like, if you're carrying the puck in and the play is getting stopped at the wall, like, who cares? Like, but if you're if you're a guy like, say, Roman, like, say, Roman Yossi, like, Roman Yossi is probably, is definitely the best in the, in the league at creating plays after gaining the line. But Nashville's offense also runs through him, which is not ideal because, like, yeah, Roman Yossi is great. He's an incredible skater, puck handler. But do you want a defenseman, like, making most of your passes and leading and creating most of your shots? No, because, like, yeah, you have a defenseman joining the rush and leading the rush, but that doesn't always mean it's an outnumbered situation. That just means, like, a guy has to go back for him. And personally, if I were the Preds, I'd rather have Matt Duchesne making a pass cross ice instead of Roman Yossi. And I'd rather have Yossi kind of being the guy getting lost in coverage as opposed to leading the rush. See, that's the thing with, with the way the Panthers run it now is they are much more, you know, it used to be defensemen, now it's the, the centers are doing so much, and the, and the wingers too, but it's much more forward-driven in terms of, cha- of transition and getting into the offensive zone, and you can tell how much better it's working. I, before we start to wrap this up, I want a quick, a quick learn uh, on you because it was a little topic of discussion when we talked about it on the last show uh, with, with Barkoff, Duclair, and Verhage. Uh, that line is so much fun, you know, and, and it, it, it kind of jumps off when you watch them play. Like, they'll generate... So I think in the Detroit game they were a little quieter, but there is a at least three to four times a game where they'll do stuff. And you're going, like, wow, did that just? And it somehow doesn't lead to a goal. And you're going, that's incredible what they're able to do. That is, I think, one of the most fun lines in hockey. No one's talking about right now because it, it's working really perfectly. And I think for neutrals, when you watch them the first time, like, wow, that jumps off the page. They're doing something that you know I haven't seen a Panthers line do since Barkov, Huberto, Yager in many ways. Yeah, what I liked about getting Verhage is that he can kind of go up and down the lineup and take some of the burden off Barkov of carrying the puck into the zone. So Barkov can kind of get lost in coverage a little bit, drive the net, maybe open up a seam for Duclair or even Ekblad. I noticed they did that a couple times against Detroit, with Ekblad kind of being the trailer, which, like, there's a big thing with how you want your defensemen to play off the rush. Like, you don't want them carrying the puck in. You want them as the guy getting lost in coverage. And I think that's kind of, that's definitely changed. That's one thing I noticed change a lot, like as, with Ekblad especially, because he got, he was up in the play a bunch of times, even against Columbus a few weeks ago. When they, yeah, uh, beat, it's, it's, they it would always be that fourth man in, you'd have, you'd have Uyghur, you know, try to suck the defense in, then you'd have Verhage or someone speed by, and Ekblad would always be that last man in coverage. But Verhage, some ice. Yeah, you see Verhage that play a lot was. with them. Yeah, Verhage, like, I know people are sick of the Marcheseau comparisons, but he does remind me a lot of that. Because when Florida first got Marcheseau, they were kind of feeding him the puck a lot, especially in the neutral zone, whether regardless of what line he was on. And mm-hmm. it just worked as far as freeing up, as far as get, those lines getting their points and creating off the rush. And that's what it's kind of doing here. With, and Duclair also, he, the way he moves and the way he gets into good positions is another thing that just fits like you, you on that line you'd want somebody who's really adept at finding space and Duclair is really good at getting into space yeah he yeah he has always been good at that it's just a matter of like not doing everything himself after and, and, the, and line, the fact but is he's he playing on a line where he does not have to do anything other than that and Barkov's going to do all that and Verhage can do that with just the way he can get that speed and get behind you 
Yeah, and even yeah, even then when he does try to do himself, he still has like what two twenty goal seasons, but teams just decide not to keep him. For I dumb am re- highly, highly, highly encouraged by his play. He fits perfectly, and I hope the Panthers keep him. I really do. It's like I, it was the thing with Line A, like. Part of me is like, well, Line is just going to cost three times more. And is Line going to bring you, you know, in some ways the all-around? I mean, he's got a w- amazing shot. Like, he'd be great on the Panthers' power play, a top unit. It would be amazing. But part of me is like, even at five-on-five, five, I'm like, isn't Duclair a little bit more well-rounded for the way that, you know, that top line yeah. works? I mean, if you get Line A, if you get Line a from his first two seasons, I take him over, like, almost – a lot of players in the league, I would take him over. But the last two years of line A, not so much. See, I wonder so, the thing. I want to get to just quickly hop around the rest of the division before we let you go. Um, with that line A thing, like I think line A would be great in Florida, not only because he'd be playing with his best friend, but he'd have no pressure. And Joel Quenville knows exactly what you need to do with a player like that, right? Because he's yeah. a ton of them. So line A would Patrick fit Sharp, incredibly yeah. well in Florida. But it's just like I don't think it makes sense for the Panthers as constructed to get him. That was my that was eventually what I came to the conclusion of. Like yeah. having Line a would be super fun and he'd be great in Florida for all sorts of reasons, but it probably doesn't make sense with the way their cap is structured, particularly because they're gonna have to pay Barkoff and Uberdo very shortly, and that is priority number one. So Yeah, I mean the only reason that trade worked out is because Dubois wanted out of Columbus and pretty much forced his way out. So I think yeah, I think with line A, it was gonna. If you wanted him, it was gonna take signing him like an unrestricted free agency because it seems like that's what he wanted, and I think he was gonna stick it out in Winnipeg even if he wasn't happy there. But after, but after the whole Dubois situation came up, Winnipeg did well to kind of pounce on that. Yeah, I want to talk quickly about some of these other teams. What is the Blue Jackets, as you mentioned, they just play to the bubble. That's just what they do, even though they shouldn't. They have too much skill, and I think they're much more talented than just playing to the bubble. Is, is it just that again? You know, this I, is a team that's going to grind you out, bubble. They're going to get a couple of heaters from Merzlikens or Corpus Allo, and that's the end of that. I, I don't know what to think of them because they – well, they also have only had their full roster for a couple of games now. And Roslovic looks really good and re- looks really good there. I don't know if he's going to be Dubois good, but they're playing him like 20 minutes. They were they played him over 20 minutes the other night, so clearly they're they definitely see something in him. I I don't think I'm hoping this Line situation is kind of overblown just because I want good things for Patrick Line. Like he's one, of, he's, he's, he's one of my fun. Yeah. but also he's very blunt. I mean, he made that comment about the the offside I, play. It was like the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm like, thank I, you. Yeah, no I, sugarcoating it. I don't know what exactly he did there, but there are. I did notice he was he has not been great in Columbus so far, even with the three goals. I'll, I think all of them were on the power play. And I, uh, I don't think that the way that Torts wants to play fits him very well. I mean, I, I the thing with Line is he always struck me as a guy, as a player that's like, if a coach tells him to do something, he'll do it. Like he's a real, like he's a good soldier. He just kind of wants to be better. He grits his teeth and does it. That's why I'm saying like Joel Quenville is the perfect coach for him. Yeah, like he would be. Per- that's why I'm, it's like part of me is like I go back and forth on it because Quenville, you know, and there are not many coaches in the league that are like that. But Quenville will be like, buddy, I know what you could do. Go do what you want. He'll put, we'll put you'll put him on a line with like, you know, with somebody who's really good defensively, and he'll be just like, you do what you need to do, buddy. We'll 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 take care of the rest. Yeah, but as far as the jackets go, I I don't think they're gonna make it this year. Just 
unless Lion A goes on an absolute heater, which honestly could happen because he has still, even with getting benched, he has like just scored goals like at the flick of the wrist. I know. So I, I don't know what to think of them just because I've watched them and it's just, they they have not controlled play in any of the games I've watched except against Nashville, who sucks. You know what was hilarious about that that first game they played against the Panthers, where the only reason they were winning is because they had two just completely fluke goals and they were getting dump trucked. That's the by problem. The Panthers even yeah, it was hilarious. That's also the problem with a lot of the goals they scored that that I've seen at five on five. It's a lot of just. Waiting for mistakes to happen, waiting for a bounce or something. Even the one against Carolina, like it was a good play by Tex or Stenlin getting the puck into the zone, carried it behind the net, hit hit a pinching defenseman. The puck went off somebody in front and went over. Uh, yeah, one of the ones was like the Reimer, three goals in or, that in that first Columbus game were stupid bounce, stupid bounce. Bobrovsky was not square to the shooter. They yeah, scored three like, goals because of bounce, bounce. Bobrovsky makes a mistake. And right, that's. Which is part of the problem, because, I mean, I think they have enough... I mean, I do think... Because I love... Don't we love the way that Yarmo builds his teams? He always finds good players. He's great. I always admired Columbus for the way they got players, considering all that has happened with them. But then you watch them play, and you're like, wait a minute. Well, they got... they For one, they got to figure out what's wrong with this with Seth Jones as far as, like, being a, pose- being a possession... Being a possession sinkhole. I mean, I just look at their center depth and like after the Dubois trade, after the Dubois, yeah, the Dubois trade, it's a bit of a mess. Well, I mean, Roslovic has played well, but after that, it's like Domi doesn't work at center. Shock. Right. Yeah, they moved him. They moved him to wing after two games, and yeah. Well, Koivu retired. That worked well. Yeah, I think they have a few good players. Like I think Texi is a good player. I think. They might move him to center. Grigorenko, I think, has fit in pretty well. They have really good players on lower lines, but that's also the problem. They are lower line players who are going to do their job well, but you move them up to the first line, you're not going to get great results. Like They have this really fast kid, Eric Robinson, who is really noticeable just because of how well he forechecks and how fast he skates, but like I don't know, what is he, a 10-goal scorer at his peak? Rat, like... They have Riley Nash too, who's a very good third. Who's a very good penalty killer. Very, very good. Yeah, like, like, you, you like what we said with Luce and, and like, a, look at the players they get rid of. Like Nudivar, good, decent second pair defenseman. Ryan Murray, good second pair defenseman. You know, and you can replace those guys from within too, because defensemen just fit in there easier for whatever reason. Like yeah. Gavrikov's, like they 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 brought in Gavrikov, I think, last year, and he's fit in really well in that second pair. They had a kid, Andrew Peak, play a lot of games last South year. Florida Andrew well. Peak. Yeah, he he fit in really well. Dean Kukin has been a really good puck rushing defenseman there, and they just find it's just easier for defensemen to fit in there. But they do have an over the elephant in the room. There is that Seth Jones has been on the negative end of the expected goal spectrum for a good couple of years now, and this year it's actually really bad. And I, it's interesting because. Like, you watch, like, by the eye test, like, not just by the eye test, but even by, like, some of the stats I track, Jones is a pretty good player, especially offensively. Like, as far as, like, like what we talked about with defensemen getting lost, he's he's very good at doing that. It's just that, for whatever reason, the Jackets get killed in shots and scoring chances when he's on the ice, and it goes beyond his comp level. Maybe with the Amazon Web Services thing, we'll figure that out. Who knows? 
Um, yeah. Like, couple couple of other things I want to mention just before we, we get you off, because we've had you longer, but of course we could talk to you about these kinds of things all day, because obviously we're one of our favorites and one of the great people who, who make us smarter every day when we learn about hockey. Um, the, yeah, the quick on the Red Wings, they are better than, I mean, they have just decent, like Troy Stetcher, John Merrill, they've got guys like, you know, Giovanni Smith who really stood out a couple games. Like, they just have better players. They're not a complete tire fire of an AHL team as they were a year ago. They're not good. They're getting saves now. That kind of helps. Um, they're they're be- I have no I have no worry that they're not going to get good at some point because Steve Eiserman's very good. He knows the kind of talent they're going to need to to get there. They're they're going to give teams a run for their money. They're going to make it annoying on you. They might not win very often, but you know they beat the Panthers and the Hurricanes already this season. So you can see like if you get them on their day, they can play really well and. You know, they, like they yeah, deserve that's... the Red Wings fans after the past couple of years deserve some good teams to watch. And it's not a great team, but they play hard every night. And in spite of Jeff Blaschel being Jeff Blaschel, you know, that's... they're better than they were a year ago. By yeah, a long that's what mile. I said before. That's what I said before we started recording. Basically, what I've noticed from Detroit is they they've insulated their roster in a way so they don't get embarrassed every night, which makes sense. You're going to have a bad season. You don't want to be losing like five to one every night. And. Grice is a, I mean, Grice is a good goalie. He's played behind some pretty rough deep, well, John, John is a good goaltender too. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of funny because it's like, when I watch her, I'm like, okay, this team is like, this team can't complete a pass. They're terrible offensively, but they're not getting destroyed. And I just look, they have like a negative 19 goal differential, which like that's a lot worse than I expected. But still, like, I mean, but I mean like they, like they lost to Florida, what, 3-2 in overtime, 3-2 in regulation, 2-1. They're not getting just dump trucked every night. Yeah, like, the the over, the the main concern I have with Detroit is how good is Zadina going to be in, in, say, two or three years? Like, is that your, is that your star? Because they, they have finished at the bottom. They did not win the draft lottery either time. And uh, to get the... Uh, to get like the presumed star in the top of the draft. So what is this new core going to look like in say three or four years when they're ready to start being good? And how long is it going to take for them to start being good? Well, let's see what happens with this draft lottery because there's going to be a lot of open. But I also think that this is the year that if you need a defenseman, Tommy kept saying it, this is the year you're going to get a good defenseman. So maybe that's what happens with them this year. Like, you know, maybe that transformational defenseman helps them a little bit, but we haven't seen any of the other, like some of these prospects that they've drafted, we haven't seen any of them yet. Right. Cedar, so they've kind of Raymond, they've... they've just really insulated them from playing. So we only, other than guests, Zadine and a couple of other guys, they have really been resistant to playing them. Yeah. I know so. they, they kind of whipped on a pick a few years ago. Like the first year they were really bad. They took Rasmussen oh, in the top God. 10. That was, I, I cannot tell you how often I heard the, Oh, the Panthers were going to take him jokes because they drafted Lawson Krause. Ugh, it was, it was low. Thankfully ceiling, they didn't have to do it. Yeah. Pick. He's bad. But, yeah. um, a, a Chicago, Chicago with Kevin Lankinen's going on a heater. Yep. Makes that... perfect sense to me. That's the only reason why they're winning, but Kevin Lankinen going on a heater is what? Yeah, I've been kind of interested in Chicago just because there's a lot of guys that I've seen. Like, I the live first in, two games I against Rockford, the Panthers, so. they were horrific. I was like, uh-oh, they're worse than Detroit. They are much worse than Detroit. And now they're they're much, they're much better than Detroit. But after those first two games, I'm like, oh no, oh god. Yeah, like against Carolina, they weren't they weren't good in either game. They just they scored a bunch of goals in both games. 
and got it to overtime the first time. But they just got Carolina got blitzed on the power play in the second game, and that pretty much cost them. And Reimer had a, I think it was Reimer who played the game, but yeah, Reimer he had a really bad night in the second game, which it happens, especially if you still have, especially since Dvorakic came back that game and. They still have those guys who can put the puck in the back of the net. But I'm interested in some of these guys that they brought in just this year because they kind of did what – because they uh, they got that guy from Switzerland, Pia Suter, who's yeah, playing on the good. top line now. He's, he's he looks good. really good. A few guys who played in Rockford last year that I'm interested Kershev to see. Kershev isn't that either. I, I like yeah. this game a little Brandon bit. Brandon Hagel's another guy. He was in Rockford. What's the, Ian Mitchell, that other defenseman, I don't think he's that bad either. But again, like it's hard to know because half their team's hurt. That's the like, one guy who stood out to me when I was watching their games. Although uh, they do have another guy, Lucas Carlson, who I think is going to be a pretty good NHLer just because he does the simple things well. He doesn't do anything like he doesn't do anything like extraordinary. He's not the guy that's going to rush the puck up the ice, but he makes very good clean breakout passes. Like uh, even last year when that team was even more of a dumpster fire, like he was making great passes out of the zone. He controls the blue line. Well, from the offensive zone, keeps pucks in like he does his job. So I think he's going to stay and maybe be a decent player, like on the second pair or something in Chicago. It's amusing to me because their entire team is hurt. Like big players are hurt, you know, Doc and Nylander and Taves and hopefully Jonathan Taves is okay. But like, I I come in thinking and like, I don't think Kevin Lankin is going to keep going on a heater, but like, let's say this team wins the draft lottery and gets a really good defenseman in this draft. You know, if they're healthy, they're not going to be really good, but you'll start looking at that team next year really healthy with some of these guys, and you go, actually, wait a minute, they're not that bad. Yeah, it depends on what the plus, like, it depends how much Taves and Kane give you versus how much they give back, and Duncan Keith, too, because Keith has, Keith is, like, almost 40 years old now, I think. Yeah, and I mean, but... but the, the, it's like, the Piper's going to come calling there Oh, eventually. I know, but I don't think it's, like... You, you you can you can squint and see a universe in which oh they're actually not as bad as I thought they'd be, you know. Yeah, I am very curious if this ends up being kind of like a Boston type of situation where, like Boston had a period where they missed the playoffs twice and it looked like it was going to be tough times because they had a couple of horrendous off seasons, but they, but they found their way back. Yeah, I remember picks, but uh, they the, still, the, that 14-15 like, season where they missed it, Florida directly caused them to miss the playoffs, beating them in that second-to-last game of the season. And then that following year, they were bad, and that was the year when the entire Atlantic was terrible other than the Panthers. So yeah, that was so, coincided with still, that quite amusingly. Uh, but, so just as we wrap this up, is there any before we get to the final question, is there any other team that you want to talk about that you that has jumped out to you in this early season for any reason or another? Uh, hmm. well, there's a lot there that I was interested. A couple of teams that I was interested in kind of got shut down early because of COVID. Because uh, yeah. I was watching a lot of color. I was watching a lot of Colorado. Early you know, there's a because... reason why Tommy and 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 Matt O'Brien started writing about the Avalanche, and it's just oh, Lord. But um, we haven't really talked about Dallas, and no, kinda, we have not. And it's kind of think... crazy because they were. I mean. I kind of just forget that they won the Western Conference last year and they beat did. the Avalanche. I mean, part of, it, like, yeah. part of it's the Avs were so hurt by that last game. And who was the guy? What was the name of the guy? Michael Hutchinson. Oh, wait. Well, it was yeah. Hutchinson was Yol in goal. Ker- I remember him. Yol Kibiranta. 
Kiviranta, thank you. I yeah, completely forget it was him. He, yeah, he is, that was that was crazy. His kind of like his one shining moment there. Guy was guy only played two games, and then one, he gets put in the if it scores the, the like, If they did one shining moment for hockey, it would be all about him because like you go and like that they was, signed they signed Mark Pesic this offseason. Like, oh, that's that's amusing. Okay, funny. And and you go like they they kind of have injuries like I don't know if it was Ben Sagan. was hurt Sagan's hurt like so yeah, like Sagan I don't have any a... doubt that they're not going to be fine but last year the Panthers played them in one game in Nolacharya hat trick and they scored seven goals and they went to the conf- and they went to yeah. the Stanley Cup final yeah this is the thing with Dallas though because they did not have a great regular season at all and uh, they they also like fired their coach in December but they were a the one thing that was constant was they were a good defensive team as far as limiting uh, limiting chances and expected goals. And they had great goaltending the entire season, even if it was Anton Hudobin, who people still kind of are iffy on just because of how he plays. But, like, at the end of the day, like, he's still stopping, like, 23 out of 25 shots, and he gets he's doing his job. So I, I don't... From what from what I've watched from them, they look they look better than they did last year because they have controlled play in almost every game I watch, except aside from that stinker against Carolina. Uh, but they they just are dropping games that they should win. Like they lost two games in overtime to the Hawks. They lost another one to Columbus because they got line aid. And I I don't know what to think about them. I think they're going to be in the top the top four when it when all of a sudden them they got to stop dropping. Like they gotta stop dropping like these games. Like if they end up going but... up against Carolina in round one, which is what I think I predicted, you know, I'm like, I, no, I can't see them winning a seven game series against well, Carolina. They're also like, I mean, they're also missing Sagan, and Sagan has a real has a really bad, pretty bad injury too, a labral tear. That's the same. Oof. That's the same injury that Ryan Kessler had before his career was over. But they're getting. They are getting scoring now. Pavelski's done really good this so He's far. He's really well with them. He's I mean, I like them. a lot of their younger players, like Rupa Hintz and Gurianov are kind of the ones that are... Is a, is a yeah. machine. But they also play... Like, what I talked about with Carolina, Dallas Dallas and Carolina played very similar styles last year, very much dump and chase aside from three players. And Gurianov and Hintz were two of the guys who broke the system a little bit. And when they did, they usually scored goals. And it's, it's it's funny how that how that works out. And uh, again, they've only they played Carolina, but they have not played Tampa or Florida yet. Yeah. So I, I I'm interested to see how they go in there. But they uh, is still there any did, other team? Yeah, um, really just really just Dallas because I'm interested to see where this team goes, especially since they're going to be playing. Uh, especially since they're going to be playing Carolina a lot because I always thought the two teams were kind of mirror images of each other. Like Carolina, I think they have better. I think they have. Yeah, they definitely have better forwards than Dallas does, which is weird to say because that was never the case forever. But they play very similar, and I think it's going to be. I think I don't think it's going to come down to who makes the playoffs between those two. But I do think that's going to be an interesting matchup later in the year. I'm interested in just just a couple of other teams that I wanted to mention briefly before we start wrapping this up. And whatever that sound is in the background is a key that we might want to mention while I wrap this up. Uh, just a couple teams in other divisions. I think what's funny about about the, the East, obviously some teams haven't played because of COVID, but, I mean, Boston, they had injuries and they're still winning every game and they're coming back in every game. Are, are they ever going to, like, fall off? Is that just not a thing that's ever going to happen? 
I've kind of given up on predicting the Bruins to ever hit a hit a wall, really until Bergeron retires, honestly. Just, I mean, they, they, you would think this would have been the year where maybe they hit a wall because their defense well, core is so different. They, yeah, the, the forwards though are still, the forwards though are still good, and they also still have Charlie McAvoy. And I, th- I, I like Grizzlick a lot too. So they yeah, have. Two... I've talked a lot about Grizzlick and Carlo as defensemen that are kind of in the mold of what I wanted Florida to go after, what we wanted Florida to go after. Just that kind of defenseman that you know, we always talk about. Quiet defensemen. You do all the little things and you barely notice that they're there, but they're always doing the things you need them to do to let your other players be their best players. Yeah. That seems what the Bruins are are, are like. Uh, who else is, is fascinating to me? It's hard to really know about anything for a team like Vegas because they've had multiple COVID shutdowns. Abs have been shut down by COVID. Um, Vegas the Blues is and Coyotes one. played a playoff series against one another. Literally have played a playoff series against yeah, one I've, another. Yeah, I've actually watched – I have watched a few of those games just to kind of – process of elimination an easy it's an easy way to get like a bunch of games tracked from two teams if they just play each other over and over they're gonna play each other seven straight times i gotta say the coyote well i don't know if this is just familiarity or whatever but like the coyotes have slowly played better in each of those games and they've won they've they've won and they've outplayed the blues in a few of them the That's blues weird. have been pretty i do like the blues team a lot though because they have a couple of there's a couple of really young players on that team are, that are kind of starting to take off, like Jordan Cairo. He's been just everywhere to start I, there. I, I sometimes go on and will watch NHL Tonight, you know, or On the Fly, or whatever the name of that show is, and just to catch up on the scores because I don't watch all of these games. And you're going like, wait, Jordan Cairo is how many goals now? Yeah, oh, he's – I mean, he kind of exemplifies, like, sort of like the the – not where the game is going, but, like, the flashy style of play that, like, fans and analysts like me love – just because he leads rushes on his own and he will not he he's very good about not letting the play die after entering the zone and nothing's there like he'll circle the net and hang onto the puck and just wait for shannon schwartz to get open and he's very good about like cutting to the middle and starting to cycle off the rush like he it took him a couple of years to kind of figure it out but he's been awesome to watch this year and like robert thomas has also had a pretty his, he's also been pretty fun to watch early in the season got hurt unfortunately uh has hoffman done like only hoffman things because i have not watched but they've actually kind of it's been interesting to see because he's had the puck a lot more than i they're, they're expecting him to be more of a play driver judging from what Which i watched is weird because in florida they basically said you're only getting the puck if you're shooting yeah like he has been leading a lot of exits and stuff this year but they also moved him down to they also moved him down to the to the third line he's with sunquist and sanford now and they move barbershop to the top line which is interesting but they've also just dropped a couple of games and that's gonna happen when you lose like the coach shakes up the lineup there's no way around it but yeah i mean but there was always the thing with hoffman like you could play him on the top line but he was a defensive black hole so you couldn't really do that and then he can't drive play in florida he never drove play on his own he needed somebody to do that and that's why at each strength he did nothing Right. It, it wasn't was like that in Ottawa. Hole. It wasn't like that in Ottawa, though, is the strange thing, because he was a good play driver there. So I'm wondering if they're hoping he can get back to his form there. I, I think some of that was just the way he was coached that first year, and then Quenville went back to, you know, went back to the well and, like, I don't have a choice here. But I was not heartbroken that they let him walk, because I knew they could find somebody who could replace that easily. Yeah. And turns out they've had nothing, nothing to lose. All right, Corey, held you here for much too long. I said 45 minutes beforehand, and it's gone well beyond that, and I apologize. 
and I've heard I've heard Stella in the background. I think she's she's needy. So um, yeah. again, remind everybody where they can find your work because I've seen some great. You've also written some stuff this year. You wrote one on Line A, which is very good. I liked it. Um, where can people find your stuff? Uh, well, my Twitter handle shutdown line is kind of my home for everything. There's a link tree link there that's got links to everything. My Patreon, my uh, Substack, my, or my newsletter the where I write sometimes now and pretty much everything that I've done is in that little link. So just go there. It's an easy way to condense everything. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think if there's one Pokemon I want you to do for March, bring it full circle. Uh, yeah, I haven't really thought of, I have a few saved in my, on my phone that I might just pick out of laziness. I think, I think that there, March is a good month for a water ground type, you know, changing of seasons. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who I haven't used yet, because I've used Sandslash already. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, uh, you can use an Alolan form, use Alolan Sandslash. Yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still snowing here, and I don't, I don't think it's going to stop in March, so. I think Alolan Sandslash would be cool, because we can start using now Alolan forms. You might want to try Mega Evolutions at some point, too, or whatever the ones. Uh, what was the ones that they, oh, Gigantamax, or Dynamax forms. I guess you'll never run out, because now that we have those. Yeah, those have been kind of weird to get used to. Let's see. I've used Marowak already. Um, that yeah. has an Alolan form, too. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of ground types for the most part, but maybe I, I like can them. find something. Yeah. Big fan of ground types. They've always been useful for me. Uh, but I would, always, I would never get a pure ground type. I would always, like, because water ground was always great because it could only be weak to grass and it would neutralize everything. Always good defensively. I'm thinking of, thinking of a Pokemon like Marshtop, maybe. You know, somebody like that. That might. Oh be yeah, there's for... yeah. Marsh Top is always good. Or what was that one in Gold Quagsire? Quagsire was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that um, he was always useful. That's the oh, thing. Oh, what was the oh um oh what's the horrible uh what's the, there's a the water ground type in Gen three that I'm sh that I should remember and I can't remember who um, it is. I'm an idiot, but that's okay. There's a bunch of water ground types that are good. Oh, Gashford I think I. It's the the catfish Pokemon Wishcash, oh. I think. Yeah. Well, there's one there's one ground there's one like catfish like Stunfisk that was Gen five, but that's I think was a no was Stunfisk ground electric. I don't remember. Oh, that's the bear trap Pokemon. I, think. I don't remember. There's just some weird ones that come around every now and again. I'm like, okay, that guy was weird. I don't know. I'm thinking. I think Water Ground was always a good one for March. Anyway, next time we have you on, we'll do a Pokemon thing. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we should do that. Because you'll you'll know a lot more than me. I know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you very much, Corey. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks for having me on.